Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of The History of Gear, John Mead, president of Adventure 16, talks about the early days of this influential retailer, their contributions to backpack and tent innovation, and the legacy of the brand to this day. This is Chase um, for another episode of our History of Gear series, uh, where we talk about the people products and brands of the outdoor industry and, and its past, present, and future. So um, thanks for joining us today. Um, today, we've got John Mead, president of A16. Uh, thanks for joining me, John. You're welcome. It's an honor to be on your program. You and I have talked for a long time about how we get you involved in the archives and, and in this project in particular. And, and um, we've, we've danced around A16, I feel like, in a lot of our episodes that, you know, it, it, it weaves its way into a lot of conversations because so many people have passed through this very important organization, this important company to the history of the outdoor industry. So it was, it was about time we, we set the record straight, right? And uh, documented the history of the company and your involvement in the industry. So sorry it took so long. That's what I agree. And well, I'm honored to be here. <laughs> well, I, I guess on a personal note, I want, before we get into the company history, I, I want to know a little bit about how you personally got involved in the outdoors. So I guess what was your first connection to the outdoors, not even the outdoor industry, but but the outdoors in general? Well, the first connection with the outdoors was, was my dad was a, was a backpacker and a mountaineer, and, and he uh, took me out at an early age just going camping. And uh, I, I grew up in Idaho, in Twin Falls, Idaho, southern Idaho, and the, the Sawtooth Mountains, uh, the Pioneer Mountains, uh, were just uh, 80 miles north of us, and we had some uh, wilderness just south of us as well, and uh, that I could even ride my bike to as I got a little bit older. So uh, it was at a very young age. Even before you know, uh, before uh, Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, uh, you know, I was I was taken along with him on some of the the gentler journeys that 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 he would go on. Well, and when did you discover the industry? When did you realize, oh, these products that I'm using, you know, as a kid or as a scout, people actually make these things and there's a whole business beside or behind all this? Well, I guess probably the first time that that happened was uh, when I was joined the Boy Scouts, but I was 
1968 or so, and uh, my dad got me an Ed, it bought me just like he had an Eddie Bauer down sleeping bag. And I slept in that thing at night. Uh, and uh, it just, I mean, it just, I fell in love with product, you know, at that point. Of course, I always, you know, loved, you know, his bag and, and uh, that he had and his, his uh, backpacking equipment and, and uh, spent time when he wasn't home, you know, going through it and looking at it. But so I had an early on young age. And in 1968, that same year that I joined the Boy Scouts, I, uh, I started to spend the summers in going to, to California with my aunt, uh, spend the summers, a good part of the summers for the most of the summers, you know, through college in San Diego. Uh, and my uncle was a friend of uh, Andy Drawlinger, who had started Adventure 16. And one day we were going to, we were going to go to the Sierra and he took me um, to Andy's garage where the manufacturing for the A16 packs was done. And uh, I remember walking up that driveway and seeing these people put together, just a few people, but putting together backpacks and, and realizing that this stuff was, uh, um, uh, you know, came from someplace and there were people behind it. And that just, you know, that was a really turning point in my life because uh, even before then I loved to build things. And so I was always fascinating with uh, people creating, you know, products, whether they were houses or cars or, you know, all those things, Henry Ford, even at that age, you know, I was reading stories about, about him. And uh, so I just love the process and just to be right there, even though it was a little garage, um, I thought that was pretty cool. So what did you take away from that experience? I mean, did you go and pursue an education that would help get you to this point or get you into the business? Did you feel like I want to work in this industry? And did you start making your own products from that that point on? What you know, I guess, where did you go from there after you felt this initial spark? Just a couple of years later, I, I did because, uh, you know, I always, always, uh, my uncle was the hero of mine. And, and like I say, I spent most summers with him and he was, he was in business. So he had a business in San Diego and I, um, you know, so, you know, I, I, I just gravitated toward business. I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be in business. I wanted to make something. I wanted to create things and build things. And he was, a, you know, he was a carpenter and he was a wood carver. And, and, uh, and so naturally I had those skills too. He, he taught me them and uh, had an aptitude for it. And so I, I jumped in on, on that. And, and in 1970 um, was probably the first time that I uh, developed a product for the outdoor industry and in that I was living in Twin Falls, of course, and I um, proposed to my uncle that I, you know, produce a, a t-shirt for Adventure 16. And uh, we had uh, a little saying, leave only, uh, take only memories, leave only footprints. And uh, I thought that would be cool to have that on the back of a shirt. And I'd just taken a course in how to put together a, um, uh, a, a you know, a stamp, uh, you know, a, 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 what is it, what do you call this? I guess it's a, it's a, it's a wood carving. Um, and I thought, you know, that's the way they make t-shirts, right? So I, you know, carved this up in 1970 uh, at the t- same time that my uncle uh, had uh, uh, gone into partnership with, with Andy Drollinger. And um, I sent the, you know, made up t-shirts. They looked horrible, you know, because they were done on block print and I didn't know any better. And uh, soon after that, I, I learned that, you know, there was such a thing as silk screening. And, and this is the original silk screen uh, that, uh, that I made in 1970. 
um, and uh, you know went down to J.C. Penney and bought the bought the shirts with the pockets on them and uh, silk screened some shirts and shipped them off to uh, A16. So that was really the first time that that I was involved in uh, A16 and the industry. And then the summers after that, I just went down and, and worked in the factory, the A16 factory, and worked at the store a little bit. And it really was my uncle's shadow. I don't probably don't think I was terribly productive, um, but I was uh, I was enthralled with this whole thing and I. I was happy to be his shadow through most of those uh, summers uh, growing up. Well, I think that's, uh, especially for our students in our uh, outdoor product design program, that's a really powerful lesson of, you know, you learning the process of silk screening, you know, uh, you know, making t-shirts at the end of the day, um, you, you know, it's, it's, it's not technical product. It's not a pack, but it's like that first exposure to the process and the craft and understanding how something gets made. And I, th- I think it opens a lot of eyes and a lot of doors, right? Just being so hands-on with that process. It's something I still recommend that our students do here, here in Logan. It's, Hey, go do a summer printing shirts at the local screen printing shop, just to start to dip your toe into this world and start to develop an appreciation for the production side of things. Even if it's just, you know, that relatively simple process of screen printing. So I think that's, I'm sure you took that with you, you know, that, that proximity to the, uh, to the product and the process and and you carried that with you. I, I, I did, but showing you how, you know, I'm not that smart. And uh, when I, when I went off to college, I, I closed a little business down. I was still screening t-shirts for baseball teams and, and, you know, a 16 and some other customers in town. So I had another outdoor shop actually. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, this, this t-shirt printing thing is, is, is not going to really last. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to run its course. And so I pretty much shut it down and, and I regret doing that, <laughs> but uh, on it goes, but we live in, we, we live and we learn, right? Well, the the fact that you still have the original block and the the screen is impressive. That yeah. you've carried those with you. I mean, is, was that something that you used to just motivate you or remind you of where you started? Yeah, it really did. I, you know, as when I had my little business, I had uh, you know this first block print hanging up. Uh, you can see the the the. I collect stuff, and you can see, you can see that behind me and the, on, on the walls. And this little block print, you know, hung over my little next to my little uh, business sign uh, in my office. And then it got tucked away. I mean, my parents lived in the same house from 1970 until uh, 2014. And uh, so when we went up to clearing their house out, uh, I rediscovered some of these things. So um, it, uh, it was it was it was a kick to, to do that. And in fact, I've got plans. We'll talk a little bit a bit about a 16 what we're doing and we do have a you know a shirt in our collection uh, that is this you know modernized logo but my thought is the screen is still good it, you know it's only what 50 years old i mean it's you know i think i can i can print some shirts up we'll see i'll send you one when they get it <laughs> it's got a few left in it it sounds like i think it does we'll, we'll that's, see that's exciting well I, and i don't want to get my, ahead of myself but i think it's really interesting um especially now there's some of these heritage brands. I don't know how you feel about being called a heritage heritage brand, right? But, um, you know, companies like a wilderness experience, um, 
recently they've revived themselves. And I know Jim has, has made a few runs of, of his packs. Um, you know, uh, so I think it's, it's interesting. And there's, I think there's people out there who would be interested in seeing a little bit of a revival, um, of some of these things. And the fact that you're making it on the original screen is I'm sure people would love. So well, yeah, Jim and Greg have been inspiration for me to do, to, to do the same thing. In fact, I've got to hand it to him. That's kind of what they got. I got the idea that after a 16 was closed down is, is, is why not, you know, keep it going. If no, no more reason for me to stay in the game. Absolutely. Keep the spirit, the spirit alive. And we're not, you know, I'm not out this time to change the world. Just, uh, uh, just make a little tiny little dent and, and enjoy my, you know, enjoy the time. Right. Well, on a, on a more personal note, before we get into maybe the company history, um, before you got involved, what's your connection to Logan? I know you and I have talked about this before, but remind me, you have a connection to, to Logan, Utah, where Utah state is based. I do. It's a very special place for me because it's where I was born. Uh, my dad uh, was uh, in, in graduate school there, getting a degree in, in his master's in uh, wildlife and range management. And he wanted to be—he wanted to be a rancher. And uh, he came from Indiana, and he went out uh, after after the Navy. Uh, after the Navy, my uncle came to San Diego and and, and stayed, and and he went to uh, uh, up to to Logan. And uh, that's where I was born. And we lived right across the street from, I don't know, I'm sure Logan, I haven't been there for 30 years, so I'm sure Logan's changed a little bit, but right across the street from um, Utah State University, you know, entrance side as you go up the hill. I'll send you a picture of the house. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's, it's still there. So I, I probably pass it every day, honestly. So I, yeah, I, I'm sure I drive right up the hill to campus. I'm sure I'm pa- I pass it all the time. So yeah, I'll show it to you when we get up there. So yeah, well, when you come up here, we'll, we'll do a tour of, and see how much has changed. And how there much you go. I'm sure there's a sign on the, you know, a little plaque or something on the front lawn that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that, that says something about me being born. I'm, I'm certain that there, if, the, if there's not, there ought to be. We got to work on that. There you go. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, I, I figured we we had to get that down on the record too, that you do have a connection to this place and which will be great when we can get you back and to see the archives and, and the materials we're collecting here. But yes. I, I want to go back a little bit before you got involved with a 16. Um, I mean, give us, give us a feel for who Andy Drollinger was, you know, 1957 is when he starts the company, I guess, officially, right? No, uh, you know, it, it, or is it, it earlier? There's, than there's that? a few different stories, and, and yeah, I think probably the person that's documented the, the, it the best is Bruce Johnson, as you know, you good yep. friend of yours and, and all. And uh, he is, 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 he, he's got it mostly right. Um, but uh, um, I, over the years, I, I'm, fa- I'm, a, I'm a student of history as well. So I, you know, I love all this stuff. And uh, I really, from a long time ago, I began to not formally, but interview you know, people that, that knew Andy and uh, that, that were around, at, you know, at that, at that time, at those, those, those early years, because there are varying stories about it. Um, Andy was an amazing man. He, you know, he was a self-taught engineer. Uh, he, uh, um, but he worked on aerospace, you know, engineering, and he was just this big, burly guy. And, you know, as a, as a 14 year old or 14 or 12 year old, I guess, when I met him, um, he was, he was certainly bigger than life and uh, well-respected in the outdoor uh, community and the, you know, very involved with the Boy Scouts. And he had this, you know, pack of people, these dads that were 
helped him lead this uh, explorer post that uh, that helped him you know get the, the company you know going but again it was just a garage operation but it was really making an impact and we'll talk a little bit about that later but really it was 19 it was not started as a company at all it was started as an explorer post it was the first presbyterian church in la mesa california and uh, they were they focused because of you know of andy's and his friends uh, uh, passion for the outdoors and, and doing things that were really extreme. Um, they had these young men in Explorer Post going on river rafting trips and, uh, uh, you know, certainly backpacking and mountaineering. And they were very, very active. And, you know, they all loved it. And it really changed. I've talked to a lot of them and it's changed, you know, changed their life. Well, they, it was, they, I think it was the boys that had the idea. Andy, that, you know, that I don't know if he ever took a picture of his life. He didn't, you know, he, I don't ever, nobody can find any picture that, you know, that came from him. Thankfully, there were a few people that were around with cameras, but it was the young man, it was the boys that uh, in, in the scouts that decided, hey, let's take some movies of this, um, of what we're doing, and we'll show them to other uh, scout troops and other nonprofits uh, of, of these outdoor activities that we're doing. To our knowledge, no movie was ever made. They had a, we know they had a little eight millimeter camera, and uh, as the story goes, and this is you know even debated by by Andy, but I but I'm pretty sure he's, he's wrong on this. He you know the the dream was to have a 16 millimeter uh, camera, and so the um, the the name of the of the explorer post was adventure 16 mm. uh filming adventure 16 uh or adventure fi- uh, movies with um a 16 millimeter camera to our knowledge they never got the camera um but the name stuck in fact when mick uh took over in the early 70s he, st- he tried to change the name to adventure pack which we all thought was brilliant but it didn't stick the customers called it you know, Adventure 16 or A16, as you know, and uh, it, it never stuck. So really, it wasn't until about 1962 that um, it became, you know, the young men, you know, went off to college and uh, discovered other things in their life. And the dads were left kind of holding the bag here. And, you know, they were all backpacking, too. And they couldn't come back from a trip uh, without uh, putting together the gear. So really, the, the young men were the, the doers. They were the ones that I think we think came up with the name. Um, and uh, they were really the spirit of it. But when it came to the gear, it was it was Andy and uh, his 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 team of friends and many of them were engineers as well, and they just kept coming back and, and improving on products and we'll talk I guess about some of the first uh, yeah. things that they did in a minute. But what, that, was that's he really where the company started. But 1962 is the okay. date that uh, it wasn't incorporated. It was just the date that it kind of got going. So right, okay. As was he was he kind of a serial entrepreneur too? I think I think this was in Bruce Johnson. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think this was in Bruce Johnson's records too. That you know, some people thought, oh, it's A16 because it was his 16th company. Well, that's, but, a, yeah, that's what Andy even said. But I cannot get any um, indication that he was a serial entrepreneur. Okay. He was a, he was an outdoor guy, and mm-hmm. nobody knows of any other businesses that he got going other than A16. Now maybe there were a few, and I you know I don't want to throw him under the bus on this thing <laughs> because that's what Andy would tell people. Um, uh, but, um, I, you know, so many people that I've talked to, that's where it, you know, that's really where it came from. So, right. um, so no, he was a, he was an inventor. He was a, a, a great engineer, wonderful tinkerer. He could figure out anything. And he, 
people loved him. I mean, he knew so much about the outdoors and about the Sierra and about the areas around San Diego to go backpacking and hiking and, and all that. Uh, he, he just, he uh, was, was just great at it. So he had this, his skills, his skill sets were um, well-respected in the outdoor community and the Boy Scouts specifically, because that was, you know, that was who was going camping, backpacking and, and that kind of thing. And, um, and he, um, uh, so he, he was, he was loved and he was beloved and he had this particular skill on, on a creating product that works. Right. I, I, I want to kind of put him in context of a lot of the other, um, inventors and gear pioneers of the time. And you've listened to a few of our episodes. So I think it'd be helpful just for context for listeners. I, I think kind of the modern era that we call it kind of starts with Jerry and Ann Cunningham and Leroy and Alice Holubar and like late forties, early fifties. Yes. And then you fast forward and you got, you know, the Chenard, you know, Chenard and in the seventies really coming, coming up. Um, he's kind of, Andy's like in this in between, it seems like where he's like in between those two, you know, um, eras, I guess. Um, who else would you put in this time period? I think Bill Moss is in there. We're going to talk about Jack Stevenson. Right. I guess what else was happening at this Probably, time? Probably, you know, Jack Stevenson and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I like to say I had a front row seat, but I probably had a third row seat to, to all of this. And I didn't uh-huh. understand it all real well, you know, be, being as young as I was at the time. But, you know, I would probably put it, he was in the era, certainly, of, of Jack Stevenson. Um, and, and But I think his, the thing that what he did was, the first thing he did that we know of was was to take that Kelty pack that was, you know, as a uh, you know huge jump ahead with the aluminum frame and nylon and all, and maybe was the, uh, Dick Kelty was the first one to do some of those things, but he put it all together and, and made it a, a product that you could get at your local outdoor or not outdoor shop, but your your local place where you would get your camping equipment. Um, so um, all Andy did initially was take that Kelty pack and put what we called sidearms on it. Um, Politically, maybe it's not politically correct to call them sidearms these days, but he put he put a, a, a couple of U-shaped pieces on that pack. Uh, in fact, for years we made a product called the Celtic Celtic Inversion. Kelty had a great pack, and uh, the problem was is that you know you watch somebody you know walking down the trail with a Kelty, and even in my era, you know they were they were like this, and you know the belt was uh, just a just a simple belt around the waist they didn't even have it padded nose in fact i think they're kelty's i've got one of the original well it was one of the first 50 kelty packs ever made and mm-hmm. i don't think even even has a waistband on it so that was an afterthought but the idea of taking that beautiful pack the kelty pack and 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 creating um uh, a system that we you know we all use today that efficiently and effectively put the weight of that could put the weight of that pack or most of the weight of that pack on your hips was pretty brilliant. And, 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 but he was not the first to do it. And, you know, as Bruce Johnson can tell you, you know, there were, uh, he might've even got the idea from the U S army because there were some steel frame packs and, and for several years until I sold them, I, you know, we had, I had some of those and, and, uh, they were, uh, I don't, it was, I think it was called the Alice pack, but then it had a frame for it that put that, you know, Put that weight. So Andy wasn't the first person to come up with the idea of dispersing the load that way, but he 
he for the recreation market, you know, he he was just like. Dick Kelder was the first person to, you know, make a, a make a pack, maybe even out of nylon. But he also, but he, but, but he made it, uh, you know, right for the. I don't want to say, I want to say the common man, but you know, the the you know the the market. Right, right. Well, and that's so much of this post-war era too, right? It's like gear becoming more available to people. Right, right. Um, and so it, and this was definitely a part of that. Where you know, does one of, one of the things that I've listened to all your podcasts and, and, you know, and I, and, and I listened to, uh, to Rachel's uh, just, just another one of Rachel's just recently. Um, the thing, one of the things I wanted to point out when I had this opportunity and, and, and when I was, uh, when I had a 16 and I used to go around the, the, the stores once a year and I would give a hour and hour and a half long presentation called, I called it the culture tour. And one of the things that I did was I walked through the history of the outer industry and something that nobody's touched on. And maybe, maybe, maybe you have, and I just haven't caught that one. Um, but I think one of the things that did catapult, uh, catapult the, the awareness of uh, outdoors as a sport, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, the Trapper Nelson packs and that kind of thing were certainly used for, for uh, recreation, but so many of those bold packs were used for, for work, you know, getting stuff mm. up in high places, um, you know, to build, things or to get food or mail or whatever. Um, but um, I think one of the things that to put the outdoors into the mainstream, uh, and this is known, this is not breaking news, by the way, and that was uh, once Redmond Hillary and her Edmund Hillary at the time and Tenzing Norgay, you know, summited Mount Everest. And, you know, that was on the cover of National Geographic. And, uh, you know, I wasn't alive at that time. I'd just been born of just a few years after that. But, but, to me, that was a, a, a point where the, the person sitting on their couch reading the, the National Geographic, we suddenly had uh, a sports hero. Um, and, you know, certainly other people had tried to climb that mountain. And mountaineers, you know, were climbing mountains all over the place. But I think, you know, into the mainstream that went. And that was right at the time that Dick Kelty came out with his backpack. So I just wanted to throw that in for whatever, wherever it's worth. I, I think it was yeah. a significant event in people getting excited about it. You know, suddenly we had a hero. You had a Magic Johnson, you know, a, right. um, you know in, in, in the mix there. So Right. No, I think that's great. I'm glad that you, you brought that up because – and then later on, you you see more of that for sure, right? It's like these athletes being recognized as athletes in the outdoors. And right. I, I, I definitely agree. I think of like a Jeff Lowe, for example, I, year, years later, years after, you know, right. uh, you know, um, you know, being on, was it the cover of, was it time or life? Um, ice climbing, we, one of the yeah, two yeah. of those, you know, um, I'm sure that was another, you know, huge moment, maybe not on the same level, but I, you know, I agree. Yeah. The, the visibility, I think yeah. I agree. I'm glad that you mentioned that, um, on, on the pack side of things, I guess, who were the other pack makers at the time? I, I certainly, it sounds like you mentioned other people were exploring suspension. Jack Stevenson had his Jack pack and that had some kind of a, the hip hugger suspension system, I think is what they called it, but I hope they did. I don't, did they call it? Maybe not. I I might've missed mixed my notes up. I think Mick, term you know he okay that was a mick mick got yeah mick developed that name he, i mean okay. mick was not only a great inventor but he also you know a really good businessman and we maybe get into that a little later about how he's, right. he was saved um but he also was a wonderful you know, a brilliant marketer as well and uh what when he took over the business he at that time uh, girls were you know beginning to walk around with these what they called hip hugger 
pants and mm. I mean, they're very short, you know, waisted things. I remember man. And, uh, uh, and he just, he didn't develop that name, but he, he began to calling the A16 pack, the hip hugger. So I don't know where Jack Stevenson got it. And, and of course, Jack Stevenson and, and Mick, um, uh, I wouldn't call them friends. I mean, I've come across a number of letters and boy, if I ever, I mean, maybe I should, they shouldn't be seen until, you know, they're gone, but, uh, or Mick's gone, but the, the, the uh, um, they were rivals like you wouldn't believe. I mean, the, the, mm. the, the letters back and forth were, were not kind <laughs> And uh, but, you know, they, they also sparked each other's, you know, innovation. Um, and I know Andy, you know, had uh, interactions uh, with with Jack, too, and not necessarily, you know, controversial or, or contentious ones. But but uh, those guys, they were all they were in Southern, all in Southern California and uh, they did you know, meet up at different Sierra Club events and, and uh, that uh, um Anyway, they were, they were, I wouldn't call them friends, but they were rivals and they were communicating with each other. Right. Well, hip hugger, I think I just mixed up my terms here in my notes. So no, I don't think Jack ever called his that, but the Jack pack was more of his, yes. his pack concept that had some type of suspension. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, who, who were others that were kind of around this time, rivals, counterparts, what, however you'd want to call them. Who were the others that were doing interesting things at the time? Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, the names aren't coming to me at this. It, well, you know, um, uh, Sunbird, you know, with Wayne Gregory, when he left a 16, he started uh, Sunbird, you know, he was doing his thing and, and had his own version, um, uh, Jan sport, you know, was, mm-hmm. was in there. We, we, you know, and, and with Bruce, you, he's, he's got the, the, uh, the information and he shared it with, uh, you know, on some of the internal packs that were being developed, you know, at that point. And, you know, you talk about first, um, I mean, most of them say they were the first, but like anything like the dome tent or the airplane, you know, it, you know, there, there are a number of people working on the same, same idea. It's just funny how that, that, that works, but it's a more of an evolution, but somebody, I guess, has to stay there first. Anyway, um, uh, the ones that I can think of, I mean, I, even this packs that we sold in the, the store, the, the A16s, and we did sell Kelty um, packs, and uh, uh, oh, Jansport was really the one that was, you know, grabbing attention, and you know, you know that, and Skip was a dear friend, uh, and uh, you know he visited Day 16 down in Southern California, and I went up there a few several times in the early 80s, and and uh, and what they were doing was just I thought incredible, and, and what a man and what a company, and and uh, their innovations were great. I think we, you know, we. I'm going to say we because I really was so young, but you know they fed off each other, right? And they challenged each other, and uh, that that's all good competition. So. Um, the other thing that uh, that uh, that Andy and Mick did, they got a patent on this, uh, was to develop the telescoping uh, frame pack, mm-hmm. and uh, that was nineteen seventy-two. I think they when they got their patent, it might have been seventy-three, but that was just you know a, a brilliant thing, especially for the time, and and you know, and even even internal frame packs, you know, later on, and I mean, Wayne Gregory developed the you know, system for being able to to you know adjust the size of packs, and certainly other other uh, manufacturers, you know, did as well. But the idea uh, to and really this came from the Boy Scouts and Andy's understanding of Boy Scouts. I mean, buying an E16 pack, you know, I remember my dad was the the distributor in uh, in, in Idaho, and so he'd sell a pack of month or something to a friend. <laughs> um, 
And uh, I remember, you know, people coming over to the house and looking at his pack and oogling and ogling. And, you know, I mean, you know, they would look at it and go, 50 bucks for a backpack? I mean, you got to be kidding. I mean, I, you know, really can't do it. And I don't know, maybe he gave him a little discount or uh, knowing my dad, he was a banker. I probably didn't. But, um, but uh, that was, it was a lot of money. And these, these packs were made almost one at a time. You know, A16 was, you know, the name of the company early on in the 70s was custom pack backpacks. And it was custom. You had to measure your frame and build your frame, measure your, your body frame and build the frame of the pack to you. Um, and also so many kids were, um, you know, so many Boy Scouts, A-16 was very connected to the Boy Scouts. And, you know, parents would, you know, they weren't buying those packs for, for kids. And, and A-16 did two things that I really think helped. And I hear to this day how many young, uh, and mostly was young men, but also families and young girls and, and as well, is A-16, and Andy did this, he developed a, a, a pack kit. And I know you've talked a lot about, you know, Frostline and, and those guys, and, and, you know, that's, you know, great uh, and what they did is amazing um, but I don't I don't know what they had in packs but a16 uh, developed a pack I think I sent you the uh, um, uh, some of the articles on it the, maybe even the page from uh, the whole earth catalog advertising a pack that you could it was a kit you buy the pieces of the aluminum and you buy the fabric and the pattern and Andy I think his signatures all over that and uh, and it, yeah, I think it sold for like 16 bucks or 19 dollars something like wow. that and it put so many it wasn't the most comfortable thing in the world but the parents had a great time you know make them with the with the kids and it, it was an affordable pack and a way for so many young people to get into the, the, the business or into the into the outdoors without spending a huge amount of money and having a good time along the way and the second thing was um, taking a 16 premium pack uh, you know again which is sold for about 50 bucks and creating a frame that you know that young you know man was directed to but you know girls too could get into it when they were you know i think you know 12 and they could uh ralph drollinger you know uh, uh had one of these backpacks and he was able to um you know wear it when he was i don't know when he was six eleven or six six seven or something like that and so this pack would stretch and so as that young man or boy or girl would grow it would grow with them and uh, that made it affordable. So sorry to go so long about that, but I think it, I think it really did um, introduce it in, in a comfortable way. You know, our you know selling gear at the high end uh, really you know did a great service to folks because they because they had a good experience. And uh, we all know stories about somebody that went out for the first time, you know, with horrible gear and, you know, boots and packs are probably the first top things you want to make sure they fit well and had a miserable, miserable experience and just threw the thing in the corner and never went out again. And uh, I think that uh, the A16 and, and, and many people who've made quality equipment and still do um, are doing such a great service. That's great. No, I'm glad that you you mentioned that. I, I wasn't really aware of the pack kits side of things. That you know, the frost lines and carry kit, and right. that gets a lot of attention on the clothing side of of kits and um, you know, kind of do it yourself clothing making. I wasn't as familiar on the on the pack side, so I'm glad well, that you mentioned that. I'll send that. I'll send that info too. I think you yeah, kind of yeah, that'd be great. Um, I I remembered the the thing I was trying to trying to say earlier. Um, I. 
can you give me a little bit of a time timeline of it sounds like the products the product came before the retail store you know andy was making product first when did this become um a retail store versus a product company those things kind of happened in tandem almost uh, i i guess when when did it, it 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 it's i think it's unique in a way where it, it was a retail store, but it was also, you were also making your own product. Um, can you give a timeline of how that developed? Well, in 1962, they were just making these packs in, in a garage, and that already lasted, <coughs> excuse me, until 1969 when when Mick suggested to Andy that he move into a, uh, a little factory, a little building. It's basically it's a Quonset hut um, uh, built in World War II that, you know, next door to him. Um, uh, near an airfield called Gillespie Field in, in Santee, California, so right outside of San Diego. And so um, so they had to sell what they were making, but it was all word of mouth. And, you know, Andy would go to, you know, Boy Scout meetings or Sierra Club uh, events and, and you know, the word would get out and people would come in. And the way it worked in those early days, uh, even when Mick got involved, was you would come in and we get measured and you'd tell them what color you wanted and they'd measure your frame and uh, you could pick your pack up a week from Thursday. That was always the mm. you know, way it went. And the, 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 the store, as I remember, the front of this Quonset hut was probably no bigger than maybe I don't know, 10 by 10, you know, and that kind of thing. And there were backpacks, you know, hanging in there. And there were some, I think, some algae water bottles. So that was it. Um, and then, you know, later on, they, you know, they had, the tents and, and, and packs, but that was 1969. Um, so, the, so the first store really was um, just a little place to be able to come pick your pack up that you that, that you ordered mm-hmm. and get get measured. And then um, when Mick got involved uh, as Andy's partner in 1970, he came in and he recapitalized the company and and, and literally saved it. It was not going to survive for reasons that I won't necessarily get into. Um, but it, it just, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't going to, it wasn't a viable business that was going to be able to work and business, Mick had business acumen. Um, Andy, should, you know, he needed a partner in order to make this thing work, but, you know, he wasn't the kind of guy that, that could have a partner. And, and quite frankly, you know, Mick wasn't either. I mean, he, you know, he, he needed to uh, do it his way. And, uh, and that's not unusual at all, you know, especially for a couple, a couple of guys that are, you know, they're really hard chargers. And so, um, so we started, you know, having the, the created a store and for the first time moved into an old log cabin. It's where the A16 logo in the seventies came from was a, a really a log cabin. It was, you know, it was a log siding basically on this building. And it was just this really cool space that uh, was in, uh, in, in Elko in California. And, it was uh, it was the store and the floors creaked and uh, had a big fireplace in it and it was an old home and basically and and the, turned into a store, um, and so uh, Andy at that point Mick was do, doing most of the designing and and Mick wanted Andy just to hang over the map counter all day long and talk to people which he was unbelievably great at and Andy really didn't want to do that he was a free spirit and he didn't really want to do that. And so that you know kind of came to the end, but Mick realized that he needed to have an outlet for his stores, uh, you know, an outlet. He needed to have stores, 
And so he grew and, and opened a couple more stores in San Diego and developed a, a, a national program to sell the you know, packs all over the country. And, you know, that that was uh, moderately successful. But they realized at one point um, uh, that uh, for every you know, pack they sold, they lost $5. The money was being made selling all the other accessories and, and uh, all the other, you know, all the other items, which is not, you know, that unusual. And so really he knew at that point that, you know, let's continue to make the product. We'd love the product and we need to price it. Um, in fact, one of my college summers, you know, I came down and spent the summer doing cost studies to figure out what we should price the products at. And they all went up by probably 20% or so when I got done with my work, but it, uh, um, uh, but it was uh, all the other products, A16, the products that we made, made the name, drove people to the store. You know, they worked well. They, you know, they, they, they looked great. And, but it was all the other products that, uh, that made the money. Um, and so uh, when I graduated from college uh, in 1978 from University of Idaho, I moved down here immediately within the within the week and and uh, began helping. And one of my first uh, jobs at A16 was to run the run the factory, which I you know loved. I love manufacturing. We've talked about that already. Uh, and so I focused on that. Um, Steve Myers, who was the president of A16, who went on to to you know to, to found a Great Outdoor Clothing Company later on in the, in the 90s, eight, late 80s and 90s. Uh, you know, opened stores and they, we just had this great thing going, um, the bright balance of stores and our own product. So when product began to shift to, to, uh, to be made offshore, um, A16 was right in there with it. And this is a little known fact that uh, uh, A16 was the majority partner in a company called Black Ice. And this was the late 70s. And Black Ice was really, I think, and somebody could, might debate me on this, but I think was the first um, specialty manufacturer to uh, have all of its product made in China, uh, yeah. in, in Asia. And, um, and we, we had that uh, partnership uh, with a company called Granite Stairway Mountaineering, another Sunday California retailer and manufacturer, you know, for uh, just a few years, mm-hmm. uh, we got out of it. And I just, I didn't like uh, Bill Simon, who, you know, that name, comes to mind every now and then he was the person in, in, in Hong Kong that, you know, coordinated all the, all the, uh, the product. And it was, it was, it was his connections from Snow Lion that, you know, that got that going um, and, and kept it going. And later on, we know what Bill, you know, Bill would do with Marmot and North Face and, and Odyssey and all, but that was the beginnings of Odyssey. Uh, was was A16's partnership with Bill and, and, and Peter Benjamin, who had who had Granite Stairway. Anyway, um, the reason I bring that up is that I just it, I didn't, wasn't comfortable with that. I, I know I was a person that wanted to have my hands on things, and uh, the idea of of uh, when in the in the eighties, the late eighties and mid eighties, when people were really you know beginning to to manufacture over there, I I just didn't didn't it didn't set comfortably with me. Not that it was a bad, it wasn't a bad idea. It was obviously a fantastic idea, but um, that's when the A16, um, we stopped 
making some of the product and focused more on the retail store. That was a long answer to your question, but it was it was an ev- evolution. Um, and the, by the 1994, when we did open up a small factory in in, uh, in Mexico, um, and we tried that and all, but I just nothing replaced me, you know, wanting to walk out on the on the factory floor and and, and do that. That, that business that way and call me old fashioned, you know, and it's too bad because I think we could have made it work. Uh, and we did dabble, you know, Bill Nikolai, you know, from early winners was uh, not a partner, but, you know, he sourced products for us and, and we, you know, threw every connection we could at it, but it just never felt comfortable and the quality wasn't quite the same. And, and uh, you know, shame on, on us, shame on me, you know, for, for, for giving up on it so early. Um, but, uh, but at that point um, we became more of retailer we also had a wholesale distribution business and uh, that was selling product you know certainly worldwide but also mostly domestically and uh, that was called granite stairway mountaineering and uh, and then later at venture 16 so we had our hands in a lot of different things and maybe so we couldn't decide what we wanted to do but we did a good job at all of them and it made a really interesting company along with the fact that we had a school we didn't call it a school we called it wilderness outings and and we took uh, in any given year a couple thousand or a couple thousand people people out and taught them how to backpack and rock climb and navigate and and uh, and so many of the the people who uh, ended up being in the outdoor industry um, uh, later on you know Michael Hodgson's and, and uh, Mike Wallenfels and those people were teachers uh, uh, in our you know we called them instructors in on, on those courses and so A16 had its hands in a lot of things uh, and by the middle 90s it, manufacturing wasn't one of them right at the high point what how many different types of products was A16 producing? It's known for the pack, for the dome tent. What what were at the high point? How many different types of products were you making? Let me show you. I got. I have an audio visual on that. On this podcast, people can't see that, but there was the list that I that I developed. Uh, I don't wow. know. Does it have a date on it? Actually, both sides. Um, and let's see, the date is 1981. So that was probably about the height that I guess there's probably 60 products on here. Now, some of these things are different colors and different uh, temperature ranges on, 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 on the sleeping bags. But I think we about, we're up to about 50, 60 products wow. uh, in the early, by the early 80s. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's, that's impressive. I'm, and even more impressive is your record keeping that you still have that. That's incredible. <laughs> We love to hear that as an archive. Um, well, I just appreciate you giving us a, a, a time frame and, and a timeline for the evolution of the company. You know, going from you know pure purely making product to getting into retail to becoming you know this this you know uh, so well recognized and respected you know specialty retail store. Um, I think that evolution is really really uh, helpful to understand so thanks for running through that i you know we when uh, we should talk about some of the other product innovations and this is one that we haven't talked about yet but the dome tent and i think the story of the dome tent is really interesting um involving the girl scouts we talked about this before we started recording but um i think you know that involvement with the boy scouts and the and the girl scouts is is an interesting story and it sounds like one that you're still digging into and and learning about but do you mind sharing a little bit about the origin of a16's dome tent 
happy happy to. And some of this is, you know, Chase, I've, I've learned some of the details just, just recently. Uh, I, I, I vaguely knew some of the little details about where, you know, the, the, you know, where the Girl Scouts or this Girl Scout leader, you know, had influence on the Dome tent, but didn't really know it. I mean, we all, none of us questioned, you know, that Bill Moss was the first to come out with a, with a, with a Dome tent. And, and uh, I was watching a documentary on, um, uh, on, on, on Woodstock. And, uh, you know, there was quite a few people camped out in dome tents. So, you know, they, they were they were around, um, certainly. But um, as far as make creating a dome tent that was mountain worthy, um, uh, I think A16 played a you know, significant role in, in that. Um, it, and, and, and where the story, where that dome tent idea came from, I think is just super interesting. And I'll just try to summarize it a bit. Uh, uh, there was a Girl Scout leader to Andy New in, in El Cajon, California. Call, uh, her name was... Uh, Bandy May Atherton was was her name, and she was a, boy, a Girl Scout leader. And she um, took fabric that I think you know Andy supplied her, and uh, he gave her some scrap because her her, her early tents were you know patchworks of of, uh, of stuff. And anyway, she created this tent where the poles were on the inside and they were fiberglass. And uh, this is 1965. And she actually developed, and this is, I didn't know this till recently, classes with the Girl Scouts on how to build your own uh, camping tent that, that was lightweight enough to, to take backpacking and strong enough to be able to uh, withstand a, a bit of snow and, uh, and, and wind. Um, and by today's standards, you know, we might laugh at it, but, you know, by then it was, it was, it was pretty remarkable. And we've got uh, pictures, you know, I've shared them with you in 1965 up on San Jacinto uh, when a snowstorm with, you know, with these, these, Tense. So she was creating these. And at some point, and I don't know the details of it, but it was, I believe, when Andy had moved over into Gillespie Field, so 1969, she had just uh, basically took the tent to Andy. And my story I got was that she just, you know, gave Andy the tent. She said, I've been working on this. You know, you've been helping me, you know, and all. But, you know, maybe you guys can do something with this thing. Uh, and this was, as far as I know, uh, when A16 got involved with it about 1969. And Andy, from what I gathered, didn't have a whole lot to do with it, but he had some pretty amazing guys, you know, working with them. You know, one was Wayne Gregory and uh, another fellow was named uh, Steve, or is named Steve Noel. And uh, Noel went on to, to create his own tent and tent manufacturing company. And Steve was really a master and, and Wayne will admit this. I mean, Wayne was the, the king of heavyweight fabrics and webbings and martacks and all those kinds of things. And, and Steve was working on things like the A16 sleeping bag. And, and so lightweight fabrics was his thing. And Steve Knoll um, uh, took Bandy's design, um, and actually, that was at that point they were going over next door to the to, to Mick and asking him to get involved with you know how do we create this dome tent and uh, you know with fiberglass poles and aluminum and zippers and lightweight zippers and uh, they created this first what they called a two and a half man dome tent half dome tent. Uh, and I first used one probably 1970, 71 with my dad and, uh, uh, you know, up in Idaho. And it was just, it was just so cool. It was, you know, you're like, you were in a spaceship and I'd never seen anything like it. And, and uh, um, so, um, so that's why A16, we always claim we were the first uh, creators of the, of the, of the dome tent for backpacking mountaineering purposes. 
Um, but really the, the, the idea, the shape of that tent, the basic ideas uh, came from, from Mandy and, and uh, uh, you know, back even earlier, earlier than that. And I just think that, you know, there's so we credit the Boy Scouts with A16's history, certainly a lot. Um, but to have the Girl Scouts, it'll be, you know, a, a part of that as well, I think is, is pretty cool. And we're going to get you more information on that as, as we dig into the Girl Scout archives. Oh, that's awesome. No, that's exciting. I, I wanted to talk dome tents because there's so many companies that claim to be first, um, as we talked about with PAX as well. And um, you had Bill Moss and Jan Sport. And then I know you've probably talked about this with Bruce, but there's some company in, in Japan, Croster, you know, that I'm not really familiar with that claims to have done it in 59. So it's, it's I'm not either. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting how it, it seems like with a lot of these product innovations, there's people who are encountering similar challenges all over the country and even all over the world who are trying to solve these these yeah. problems and make innovative products and are kind of thinking along the same lines around the si- same time frame. So it's it's interesting to try to map that. Um, I think I think so. Um, you know the the one rivalry I know you know was uh, and some of it was in fun was but was between you know uh, Mick and and Skip and always you know claiming that they were they were the first and and uh, um, I think we've got enough evidence to show that you know we uh, uh, Bruce recently shared some notes uh, for Murray uh, his file about different things that they did at different times and I you know give. Transport huge credit for leaping the industry forward in terms of gear and other things and marketing too. Oh my gosh! Um, but A16 clearly was as far as a company making a tent specifically for this market. You know, I I, I still think we were the we we were the first, and also with aluminum poles. I remember so many things that, that A16 did, and uh, um, I didn't. You know, it, it stood out to me a little bit at the time, but also it was just an evolution with with uh, you know the the aluminum tent poles and and uh um you know uh, jim easton and uh you know mick worked together to develop the first aluminum pole now that you know people are debating that but i think i sent you a letter that was written by jim uh easton uh years later to to mick you know telling him yep you were the you were the first guys that uh, that we were working with to, to make this you know he went from arrow shafts aluminum arrow shaft to a to a tent pole and i remember you know working with different epoxies to put the ferrules in and and uh uh, to make them stick and not crack and, and uh, some, you know, would break and we did think to, to lengthen that, that ferrule and all. Uh, but as far as the dome tent, uh, the other thing that A16 did with the dome tent, and nobody really has done this since then, and that was to create and put a uh, stiffer pole in the very middle of that uh, that that pole that you could expand and, and tighten the tip and, and loosen it as the, as the weather conditions changed. But, you know, having that, that big pole on top really gave that tent some tremendous strength for its, uh, for its size. What Wait. year would have the, uh, that um, involvement with Easton been? I, you know, that was probably 71, 72. Okay, I remember wow. those sample poles being in, in Mick's office and, you know, me discovering them and asking about them. Um, and so I'm guessing it was probably 72, could have been 73, as late as 73, but it I'd, was in there someplace. I'll have to pull up that letter again, or if you can send it to me again, that would be, I'd love okay. to see it again. Because um, it's interesting, we have um, a letter from Jim to the North Face. 
as they were developing <laughs> the Oval Intention in right. 75 or 76. Uh, and he doesn't say that you were the first in that letter, but it's interesting that, you know, all these different companies yeah. were looking to, you know, other companies like Easton to help them innovate. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't, I, you know, I, I had forgotten, you know, that really a 16 was the first to do that. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's another badge that the company has in terms of firsts. That's, well, and you know, and, and Jim Easton was a businessman. I mean, he, you know, he had a great idea and, and he was out there beating the bushes. I mean, you know, trying to, to get this tent pole by the way, yeah. I mean, he certainly was a success at that point with other products, right. but, but anyway, I mean, it was, it was razor thin about, you know, what, who, who he's talking to when I'm sure. So, yeah, so I, I thought I'd bring that up that we have letters in the archive that are from Easton, That's right. um, kind of around this same topic. So I, I think I think it's an interesting story when it comes to like material innovation, driving innovation in the outdoor industry, and and so many people um, like Jim, like um, like a Jack Stevenson, right? People who are looking outside at the innovations happening outside the outdoor industry and then bringing those in are really, really interesting stories for sure when it comes to material innovation. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about just, you mentioned this briefly, but all of the different people affiliated with the company who passed through Wayne Gregory, we've talked about frequently throughout this conversation. Um, I know Kenji, you know, is, is one of, one of those people who passed through a 16 and is, has had so much influence in the industry and Michael Hodgson, for sure, which Michael has actually contributed some of his materials to our collection as well. Who are others that have passed through A16 that are still, I mean, their impact is still felt today. And how does that make you feel knowing that there's so many of these people who pass through those doors? Oh, it's, 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 it feels great. And it's, it's, it's humbling at the same time. It's exhilarating. And I think we fed off of each other. And, uh, you know, some people who I you know, thought, well, you know, they won't stay with the industry, you know, are still with the industry and then other people's of who, people who I thought would change the industry completely, you know, went into different things. So, but, um, you know, Jeff O'Keefe certainly, you know, left a huge mark on, on Adventure 16. Jeff later on um, was president of, of Low Alpine Systems and, and you know, a number of other, you know, companies, Mountain Smith and, and others. Uh, he made a huge impact. He's a consultant now, you know, living in, in, in outside Boulder. Um, Stephen Myers um, went on to, uh, with, uh, um, Bill Simon, uh, help and, and cooperation, you know, founded a company called, uh, the great outdoor clothing company. And, uh, you know, we played in the, in the outlet store, you know, space. Um, it was interesting chase in 19, um, or 2012, when we celebrated our 60th anniversary, we put out a call to the uh, all the alumni network, and the, the, there's always been a really strong alumni network, and, and you know, they go all the way from going to breakfast at outdoor retailer to to a you know Facebook page, and which is not that unusual, but all the different things that they seem to stay together and and uh, and rally around a 16, even now, you know, after the you know the main company's gone. Um, but at that, uh, when, when I finally got a, 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 a list of all of the, the people that were in the outdoor industry um, and, and present at Outdoor Retailer, uh, I think it was about 50 people long. Um, and this is 2012. And when we actually had the party, I think 65 or 70 showed up. You know, people we didn't even know, you know that, that stayed in the industry. <coughs> so... 
Um, I think Wayne Gregory is probably the one that's, you know, that became, you know, the most famous. Um, but, uh, you know, there's certainly been a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of others. I mean, Mike Wallenfels, you know, helped um, form and start uh, Mountain Hardware. And, and we're, I'm just as proud of Punch, uh, you know, the fact that we've got a lot of people who did make a difference, you know, throughout the industry. Um, and and we, what, it, what it did also did for A16 is, and I, I, you know, I credit A16, a lot of A16's success, you know, with this. And really, when we were shutting down, uh, allowing us to shut down with a, a great degree, I think, and I'm proud to say that, you know, grace and dignity as, as, as we did that came from relationships with alumni in the outdoor industry because everyone rallied to, to want to help. And, uh, um, and, and that was just, you know, uh, huge to me. Uh, and I really didn't know, you know, uh, you know how, how um, tight that network was until we began to, to shut down the company. And as we did that, we'd have, you know, cel- I, mean, with, I guess we would call them celebration parties, but, uh, uh, but parties as we closed down the stores. Uh, and um, one we had in uh, closing down the oldest outdoor uh, mountaineering shop in the country that was continuously operated. <clears throat> I think there were some names that were older, but our Tarzana store, Northern Los Angeles um, was the uh, Jim Thompson, you know, and uh, and Greg had the history there with starting an early wilderness experience at that store. And uh, we had, uh, you know, people from all over the industry um, that didn't necessarily work with A16, you know, come to that party. Um, it's, it's a bit of a reunion. So um, Richard Kelty, you know, showed up and, <coughs> excuse me, but um, it was, it was, Really gratifying, and and uh, and I think you know one of the mo- things I'm most proud of in my history with A16 are the are the people. We we didn't even really talk about when you got involved as as president, um, and I, I guess what was that moment like? And then maybe if if you don't mind sharing like some of the high points and low points of of um, being president of a of an outdoor company and a company like this that has had so much influence how how did you get into that position uh, what led to that and then um i guess maybe share a little bit about your tenure uh, thanks for the question i in, in like i say i joined the company full-time in 1979 uh, january 79 when i after i graduated from school mick had, mick had offered me a job you know, because I, it was his shadow for, you know, 10 or so years before that, um, every summer. And he'd offered me a job when I was in college. He knew I was taking business courses and uh, he knew my uh, skills and weaknesses and, and all those things. I becoming A16's president in, I think it was 1991 um, was, was a huge honor for me. Uh, but my uh, tenure really started in 1979 when I, when I, um, moved down to Southern California and um, started A16 full-time. And it's, as I said, Mick uh, offered me a job doing something at A16 when I was in college, and I was just thrilled about that. Um, and so uh, I was so excited that it, in 1970, late 19, December 1978, uh, I, I graduated from college. I married my high school sweetheart, and uh, we jumped in my car with everything I owned, uh, we owned, and uh, drove and started my first job, real job, 
um, at A16 full-time. And really from the beginning, Mick uh, Dindersley and Stephen Myers uh, gave me a lot of responsibility, uh, more than I deserved. And I was always, you know, continuously over, over my head, but I just kept falling forward and, and, uh, and making things work. Um, and so, you know, vice president led to, you know, to that and manufacturing. Um, uh, so I took over the factory and, uh, and had a great time at that. Um, and so uh, Stephen Myers left in the late 80s and uh, started his own uh, company. And um, in 1991, Mick was looking for um, uh, a way to, to slow down a little bit. And uh, I became the president of A16. At that time, we had oh, well over 150 employees in manufacturing and wholesale distribution uh, business. Um, we had a mill order, a little mill order business going, and uh, and at that time, probably about four stores. So, uh, actually, though, at that time, we had six stores at, uh, in, the, in the early 90s. So, a uh, huge honor for me. Uh, and I did know that, you know, A16 had this, you know, great reputation. And so, the bar was high for me to, to uh, perform. And uh, I, I really embraced it. Uh, the, you know, the high points, you know, for me uh, in my career in, the industry, in this industry have always been the people. And I'm not talking about just the people that I worked with and, and, and around who helped, you know, move me forward, help move the company forward. Um, but just a, we all treated each other well. We had a, a bond that, that, you know, that, and a... Uh, an unspoken oath that, that we treat each other well, um, but also the customers that you know come through the door, our vendors um, always rallied to, to, to help us, and we treated them well. Um, and so, from all you know, the 360 degrees, um, the, you know, other people in the outdoor industry uh, was part of uh, you know, founding uh, what later became Grace Grassroots, uh, which is the you know one of the outdoor industry. Uh, 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 highest regarded uh, outdoor retailers, you know, out there. And so um, I, you know, and I love those relationships too. So I really, my, my highlight of my 40, you know, something year career um, really was the people uh, in, in the industry, in the company, uh, in our outdoor communities in Southern California. Um, uh, that was a, it was a, you know, huge, huge honor to, 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 to do what I did. And I loved it. I just, I loved my career. I loved uh, uh, the industry and uh, had, a, had a great time. And it was one of the reasons that I decided to, to keep it going was, uh, was in, in, a, in some way. I mean, obviously we're at this point, A16 still has a website. We basically sell swag, um, but really an extent excuse uh, you know to be able to keep my my you know finger in it and and and, and I have got the same office that I've had for 40 years now I'm sitting in it now and and uh, um, so it's it's a way to not have to say goodbye and to continue to do some good um, and to keep those friendships uh, around me so people were the highlight of, of, of my career and, and really still are what what do you think of um, I guess the continued impact of an interest and influence in the company. I know that when it closed, you had a number of people, especially from, was it Japan that came out and bought a lot of, a lot of pieces. Um, And it seems like there's especially an interest there. Um, But I I guess, what do you think of that? That there's still, even though the, you know, you're selling more the the swag, like you say, um, what, what do you think of that? That people still care about the brand. Well, it's, it, it motivates me to, you know, to, to keep 
some piece of this this thing going. And yes, we do have uh, uh, one person. I mean, we, over the years, a lot of different people in, in Japan specifically who uh, you know just love the brands, love the brand, the A16 brand, and what we've done in our our heritage. And we're working with a small distributor right now. Uh, uh, putting you know selling product to them it's the same product that you see on our website now and so it's a very highly you know i don't say curated but it was you know it's very high you know it's not very many products it's not anywhere near the you know the number of products we were making 1981 and it's not gear at all it's uh uh you know there's plenty of people making great gear and course playing people making swag but only so much of it can have the a16 name on it and every product that we have if you go to in our website there's a story behind everything that we're, that we're doing and most of the stuff we've is just reprints from the from the from the past that you know people um uh, loved and, and equated with so um so yeah, I you know, and the other thing that keeps me going with this is you know we have a foundation uh, formed had a, a nonprofit foundation A sixteen uh, it's called A sixteen Foundation now it used to be called Donate a Pack Foundation and that was formed in nineteen ninety seven you know to do some good and uh, with with you know helping youth get outdoors and um, uh, one of my motivations to keep the the company the spirit alive is uh, to keep that foundation you know, going. Uh, and um, uh, it is. So, um, but a lot of reasons to, to, to keep A16's uh, spirit alive, other than just keep me out of the pool hall. <laughs> well, that was kind of my next question is what is your current um, involvement with the industry and what's the future? And you, you kind of addressed that, but anything else that you wanted to share? Um, not, not really. I mean, my, my dream, uh, for a 16 moving forward is to, 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 uh, have some fun uh, to keep the spirit of a 16 alive, uh, and to do some good. And, uh, our foundation will do good. We, we, uh, tomorrow night we'll have a, an event where we have a, an expert come out and talk about how to, you know, the best ways to get them, safest ways to climb and get back down to the bottom at Mount Whitney. And uh, so Wild Wednesdays, we call them, and we got a local uh, brewery that that uh, is, is more than happy to host uh, uh, the events. And uh, so it, 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 that, that keeps me involved, and, and it keeps um, me being able to continue to help people get out there in a safe and respectful you know, way in, into the outdoors. And um, I guess as far as the future goes, you know, long gone are the days, I don't know, long gone are the days, but you know, I, I want to build any kind of of an empire, you know, I had my good stab at that and, and uh, uh, had some moderate success. But um, but now, you know, I'm, I'm happy to spend a couple hours a day um, keeping the brand alive. That's great. And having well, fun with it. Well, that's awesome. Well, th- thank you for taking the time to share the story. I, um, it's, it's an incredible story and incredible legacy. And, and I know that there's so many people as, as I'm sure you feel that are so attached and connected to the brand even today. So, um, thanks for being willing to sit down and share a little bit about it today. Well, thank you, Chase. It's an honor to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast for more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, Watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.